Hi, this is Scott Roberts of the Dexter Podcast, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. This is the Versus Machine Podcast, a comparison of great things. The Versus Machine takes on two works of art, one source material and one adaptation, and processes it through to discover the differences and similarities of the two. Whether those differences are good or bad is up to you. After all, it's what happens when you transform one medium into another. It's time to engage the Versus Machine. The Versus Machine is on, and it's time again to run two works of art through it. I'm Joseph Burge. I'm Richard Gibson. And this is The Versus Machine, the comparison of great things. The Versus Machine is all about education, education of the source, of the adaptation, of what happens when you take something from one medium and change it to another. Few things in life are as universally promising as the American dream. And even fewer had so many incarnations over the years and opinions of its origin that it begs a debate to even mention it. But when we think of prosperity, it's almost completely synonymous. Of Mice and Men, the classic 1937 novel by Nobel Prize winning author John Steinbeck is an examination of such a dream in a way that is so outside of the box that it begs its own set of questions. Through its determination and exploration of the bonds of friendship, it defines prosperity in a way that is so beyond the bounds of previous thought. And it is because of this unique style that the idea of an adaptation is a tricky thing, especially in movie form. But while it's tricky, we here at the Versus Machine believe that the best example to run through the machine is the 1992 adaptation starring Gary Sinise and John Malkovich. While playing more heavily on the idea of the farm workers, its subtle differences don't distract from the overall themes of friendship and life through adversity. But with that, we're going to get started. we got a lot of stuff to go through. You ready, Richard? I'm ready. Lenny. In the book, Lenny is an innocent, hapless idiot. And in the movie, Lenny is an innocent, mentally handicapped individual. I never felt like reading the book that Lenny was actually somehow retarded with any number of sim- syndromes you could put any name to it. I never felt that's how he was, but in the movie that is 100% how they portrayed him. He had some clear mental retardation if it was like Asperger's or whatever. I mean, I don't know. I don't know enough about those to be able to tell, but that's how Malkovich portrayed him. And I think it's really hard to tell either way. I'm not saying I disagree with you. I'm not saying I agree with you. I think it's hard to tell either way because especially thinking that the book was written in 1937 and it was about the 20s, it's about a time when the words mentally retarded or mentally handicapped didn't really float around as much. So, you know, calling him calling him George's special friend could have mean any any number of things. (laughs) Right. And I, you know, while I don't maybe think that he was as bad as he was portrayed in the movie, it was still along the lines of pretty mentally diminished. When I look at it, I kind of feel they did a good job, whether they did it interpretively differently than we would have seen it before. Right. One thing that I did not necessarily like or dislike, but it was different, and I'm really interested to hear what you have to think about it. His expressions in the movie are differently than what I would have appealed to him as in the book. He's got that kind of dopey, happy-go-lucky face. And while I think Lenny is a happy person, without a doubt, he's easily amused. I'm not sure that I believe fully that he had that, you know, sort of smile on his face all the time. What do you think? No, I don't really think that he did. But, I mean, he, he wasn't more like George, who was probably constantly frowning. 
he was he definitely wasn't doing that but no i i agree i don't think he was he didn't have that dopey smile that malkovich was constantly wearing throughout the movie one thing that i think they did differently in the movie that i didn't really appreciate was when lenny was to say fighting curly isn't exactly accurate because it, it, it wasn't, wasn't really much of a fight once no, he got involved once he once lenny decided to do something it, it wasn't much of a fight while he was just demolishing curly's hand just by squeezing it shut in the movie they give lenny a very sinister look as he's doing that whereas in the text he's actually terrified while he's doing that it says lenny watched in terror the flopping little man whom he held he just stopped the fist coming at him and not really knowing what else to do just started squeezing and curly getting his hand crushed started freaking out and lenny's like i don't know what's happening and just kind of kept going he he wasn't sinister about it. I could see it going either way because while I say while you say he's not sinister about it, I could say that the expression on Malkovich's face during the scene was anger through fear. I could say that we could stretch it to there if we really wanted to. Maybe. If he's if he's mentally diminished to the point where they make him out to be, it's completely reasonable to assume that he has no gauge of his feelings and therefore could True. be angry when he's supposed to actually be scared. Yeah. And there is anger and even in the text, Lenny does display some version of anger later on when he's pissed at the little dead dog that he's like, you know, it's it's your fault. I'm not going to get to tend the rabbits anymore. And he gets mad the, at Carly's the wife. The little dead dog. The little dead dog. That's quite sympathetic. <laughs> right. And he gets mad at Carly's wife when she starts screaming. And he's like, no, you can't do that. If you do, George won't let me tend the rabbits. He was mad at both of those, so maybe he did have a capacity for anger. The The question that is, an on, that is on my mind this entire time is, do you think that Lenny was more dependent on George or George was more dependent on Lenny? And in which case did you think that was a better, that was better done? Because in my opinion, the dependency issue was done much, much better in the book than it was the movie yeah. simply because I could never see Gary Sinise being dependent on anyone. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah, in the book, there is, they're both dependent upon each other in a different way. Lenny's depending on George because Lenny can't really do anything on his own. And George depends on Lenny for the companionship. I mean, he doesn't need anybody there to help him be more capable in anything. But George does need it. He does need a friend. It helps him get through his life. I mean, he admits himself, if I didn't have you, I'd, I would just be doing what everybody else does. Just going, getting my 50 bucks and blowing it in the cat house at the end of the month. So they do, they do definitely help each other in the book. It's more apparent in the novel than it is in the movie. George. In the book, George is a weary caretaker. In the movie, I think George is more of a kind-hearted friend. Yeah, there's definitely a difference between... The reason we give those two separate titles is there is nothing else in tone. In tone, in the book, he is definitely more, you know, acidic towards Lenny than he he is in the movie. In the movie, Gary Sinise seems kind of mad. He seems like, oh, I don't like taking care of you, but it's not to a level where you know I feel like he hates him whereas in the in the book i almost feel like george hates lenny george hates the fact that he's dependent on lenny george hates that lenny is there yeah but he still keeps him around because as crook says everybody's got to have somebody right george's actions in the book could definitely be interpreted as he doesn't like lenny at least to an extent at least what he says about lenny his actions show that he does care he stands up for him constantly 
but some of his words you you do wonder if George really cares about Lenny a whole lot the movie it wasn't it wasn't so much that way and I think I mean obviously we're going to answer this question later on but I think I'm not sure I get you know Le- George is kind of the hero of this whole thing and I'm not sure I get that from him in the book in the movie I get it more so in the book because in the yeah. movie he seems more like he's rough on Lenny because yeah. he wants Lenny to be better in the book it seems more like he's rough on Lenny because he has frustrations about his own loneliness right and I and it's a really big difference it is it's not a difference in necessarily affecting the overall theme but it's mm-hmm. a difference in how I view that character yes yeah in in the book you're you're just kind of waiting for George to snap and kind of flip out on, on Lenny he does a little and the in the opening couple pages of the book you know as as Lenny says he's he's given me hell you know he's saying without you I could go do this that and the other I wouldn't ever have to leave a job in the middle that that's not so apparent in the movie mm-hmm. at all it does, as you said it definitely changes how you view the character slim in the book slim is the empathetic father figure whereas in the movie slim is definitely the wise big brother the way that Slim in the book basically always knows at least what George is feeling to say that he's the father figure is is really the only way I know how to put that because he just sees George at the end of the book and he immediately knows what's happened whereas nobody else really gets it. Not only does Slim know what's happened, he knows how George feels and therefore knows how to comfort him. And at the end of the book isn't the only time that happens. Slim's empathy is not as apparent in the movie. In the movie... I think he has the the empathy, but I think they chalk up the empathy more to an understanding of circumstance rather than yeah. of, I understand that you've had a hard life and there's not a whole lot. And I think a big part of that is there's a scene, there's the scene at the end where he takes George to go get a drink after he kills, after George kills Lenny. Mm-hmm. And I think that's missing in the movie, but it's a big part of what makes Slim's character whole. That yes. fact that Slim not only understands George, he can almost literally feel the exact same way that George yes. feels. And yeah, you really get that in the book. I think that's important. And mm-hmm. I think there's another word that's important that's in the book, and it's in both the book and the movie that, to a certain extent, but it's the prince of the ranch. And I, I feel like yeah. that's definitely the truth because i feel like everyone looks up to slim everyone does what slim wants them to do and i feel like the fact that slim reaches a hand out to george this person he barely knows makes him look more like a father figure right and the only real difference that i can say besides the temperament of the character is they made him look a little bit different in the movie than i would have appeared that i would have expected him to look george and lenny look pretty close to what i expected them to look like but slim i thought could have been a lot prettier i felt like they downplayed his prettiness whereas steinbeck makes this big deal about he's this gorgeous man with eyes (laughs) that i can that you always trust which is really kind of awkward when you think about it but the point being the movie didn't play that up no and that's a huge deal that the movie didn't play that up Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily again a huge deal in theme but it's a huge deal in how you feel about the character so curly Uh, in both the book and the movie uh curly is very angry and very narcissistic 
I don't really want to spend too much time on Curly because while I feel like Curly is a character that's an end to a mean, you know, he gets his hand crushed by mm-hmm. Slim, or he gets his Lenny. hand crushed by Lenny, and Slim makes him make up the story about you got your hand caught in the machine, and it's in a, and he has the wife, which ends up being the climax Catalyst, of the entire yeah. thing. I think he's not that important of a character. You could have filled not anyone really so into Curly's shoes to if, a large extent. He's he does not a very deep character. We're not really given actually really any backstory about him except for the fact that he's a good boxer. That's really it. And he's the son of the owner of the ranch. Which is really kind of strange considering such somebody who could have been set up to be an antagonist in the book really kind of got pushed away. And I'm not sure if that was intentional. And if it was intentional, I can understand the point behind it. But for my tastes... In terms of the book, I felt like we should have built Curly up a little bit more Maybe. because I feel like we're supposed to hate Curly and we don't hate Curly. And the fact that we don't hate Curly leads something to be wanting in both the book and the movie. The movie had a little bit to work with Curly. They made him a little bit more fleshed out because they gave him a little bit more of a personality in the movie than they would have in the book. Maybe, But I feel like there's something left that we're not getting there and so i i'd really just he's a character that the only thing you really need to know about him is he spends most of the novel being almost completely you know assholeish to everyone yep and his only real purpose is to have a wife that is the catalyst for the end yeah crooks in the book crooks is the messenger to the reader and in the movie, Crooks is basically a non-issue. It, this is really though I can understand why. Mm-hmm. I mean, they couldn't. They couldn't build. You know, the important thing. It's kind of a disclaimer for us to talk about this, but the important thing is Steinbeck came from a time when things that were taboo nowadays are not as taboo when he was when he was yeah. you know writing this book. He has a very broad use of the N word the entire novel. And the sad, the weird part about it is it's not a mean thing. I mean, that's what you were saying. It's not a mean thing when they say it's, it's really only used meanly when Curly's wife says it the rest of the time. It's just kind of a matter of fact, as if you were saying the blonde guy or something, it's not really any big deal. And it's kind of strange. It is strange to take in, especially it with our sensibilities today, how much stock we put into that word to see these characters and to see Steinbeck's point of view where it's just a word. Because it, how Crooks feels. even calls himself the word several times mm, and yeah. doesn't seem to mind the fact that that's, that's who he is. That's what he is. The most important point of Crooks is his message, which is kind of an underlying message of the entire story. Yeah. There's a whole chapter that takes place in Crooks' room. It's not, I mean, he, it might be the only room in the building, but it, you couldn't call it a house. It's a shack attached to the barn and lenny comes in and crooks just starts talking to him really kind of proving his own point in that he says a guy talking to another guy eh, it don't make no difference if they don't hear or understand the thing is they're talking it he's saying it's it two guys just need to be together you just need companionship when george talks to lenny more often than not lenny is too busy thinking about his his future rabbits to have any idea of what George is saying. Even if Lenny wasn't thinking about his future rabbits, he still wouldn't really get it anyway. But the point is, they're two guys, they're together. They have 
friendship, partnership, companionship, or whatever. And Crooks points out that's that's really the important thing. It's just the talking. It's just being with another guy. That's all. It doesn't even matter if they, to an extent, even like each other. It's just having friendship through your heart, the hardships in your life. And that's think, the big deal. I think that's a central point in the novel. And it I liked is. what you said before where you said you have a character who's telling you he's an unreliable character. Yeah, I'm not going to uh, quote it exactly, but he says, this is just me talking and I'm and I, I'll bust it back and everything. I, I'm not a reliable person. And then he says the most important thing in the novel. And it's, it's, a, it's a real wake-up call for you as the reader to kind of slap yourself in the face and go, he's telling us he's not reliable, but he's basically giving us point blank the point of the entire story yep. and i think it's important and they don't have as big of a deal in the movie about no. his speech mm-hmm. as they do in the book but i think for me and you can disagree with me if you want to they still make it they still make you aware of the theme through you know several other things that they add in conversations between george and lenny and things like that i think they still make it a point they just don't broadly state it for you and especially in a film it's really hard to broadly state something and get your audience to go along with it a few of crook's important lines are there but the full extent of his i'm gonna call it a speech because he was talking to lenny who wasn't really comprehending anyway so it was as good as of a speech it's not in the movie some of the some of the highlights are, but I think it does miss some of the power. Even if Crooks wasn't in the in the book or the movie at all, the main point of the book being friendship through hardship is still very much present. Crooks is just there, so it's like if you're dense, here's my point. <laughs> you can't miss it anymore because it's right there. Curly's wife. There's a reason we've been calling her Curly's wife. It's not because we can't remember her name or her name's different between the book and the movie. It's that Steinbeck did not give her a name. She doesn't have a name. Even in the credits of the movie, it says Curly's wife. And she's the only female character in the entire novel, and she has no name. Yep. And I think, I was telling you before, it's an important thing that she doesn't have a name. Especially in the movie, it's an important thing that she doesn't have a name. Because Lenny kills her. Uh-huh. Lenny, you know, snaps her neck and kills her. Not intentionally, but yeah, still. And if we gave her, and it's kind of that old adage, if you give something a name, you're going to get attached to it. Yep. So if we gave her a name, whether she's that sc- as screwed up as she is because she spends most of the novel trying to sleep with anything that walks. <laughs> yeah. Um, to feel yeah. better about the fact that she could have been in the pitches. She could have been in the pitches. But the fact that she doesn't have a name is kind of a really important detail because yeah. if we'd have named her you'd have felt you'd have hated lenny for killing her right and you're Even not supposed to hate lenny no you are supposed to think that he is the one of the most lovable people in the entire <laughs> you know novella right just so loaf. i just think that if we'd have given her a name you wouldn't have been able to do that right it would it'd be that much harder because then it's he killed a person mm-hmm. and not he killed curly's wife and nobody likes curly giving her a name would have put more weight to her character and then when she subsequently dies it's more of an issue mm-hmm. that's really the only thing i have to say about her is she gets killed she's the catalyst of the climax yeah. she gets killed and that's pretty it. much that about does it for characters i mean the, there are other characters in the novel and but Kathy we want to hear carlson etc we want to hear from you we want to know did we miss anybody do you think that 
Carlson is the most important character in the entire novel. <laughs> yeah, did we miss anybody important? Did really? we? Did is Candy? Is it the fact that we just didn't do Candy a travesty? Let us know. Go to versusmachine.com, click that contact button in the top right-hand corner of the page, and let us know what you think about our list of characters. But let's move on to symbols. The farm. The theoretical farm that George and Lenny have been dreaming of for which is a by, long time. Which really, is by say far the only good, the only thing that makes you feel good in the entire novel. Everything else makes you feel yeah. horrible. It's not a, not a positive feeling from anything except the... the hypothetical farm uh in in both the book and the movie the farm is the american dream george and lenny have 10 bucks between the two of them they have nothing they don't have a steady job they don't have any place to live they have no one except each other and 10 bucks their dream is to go from that to buying this farm where they can have a a cow some chickens a pig a bunch of rabbits for lenny to tend to and they can own something, and it can be theirs, and no one can kick them off. You know, they're like, a, f- a fair comes into town, they're like, all right, we're not going to work today. We're going to go to the fair. If it's cold in the winter, they're going to be like, all right, we're not going to work today. And I think the fact that the farm is the American dream is a yeah. really important point, and it's one thing you have to admit, the movie does really well. The movie points that out to us really well. Through the way that Lenny looks as, as you know, Gary Sinise George tells him yeah. about the farm, it points us out really well that that is the dream. Yes. That is what it is. You know, the American dream changes as time goes on. You know, we had the thing at the very beginning of this podcast about the American dream and how it changes and our opinion of it changes. And the last couple things we've done, you know, Watchmen and The Great Gatsby all have to do with that American dream, this mm-hmm. theme that keeps popping up. The American dream is really important, and yep. it was especially important to people during this time. People yep. had nothing. People yep. were poor. Mm-hmm. They were dirt farmers. They just traveled around yeah. and, di- and tried to make money. And so it was really important to have that kind of hope. Yeah, to have that kind kept of, them going. And the American dream at this time definitely was you start from nothing, you make something. On your own strength, you raise yourself up from having 10 bucks to owning a farm. But- the farm is a symbol of something a little bit stranger than the American dream. It's George's American dream, which is different than I made something from myself from nothing. George just wants to be in charge of himself. Yep. He spends the entire novel saying we don't we won't have to listen to nobody yep. after that. He no just one can can us. he just wants to be in charge of himself. Yeah. And I think that that's a unique take on the American dream. It's a unique way that they look at it. I think Gary Sinise, you know, you talked about how Gary Sinise looks like a villain in His the movie a little face bit. Just kind of looks villainous. The way that he describes you know, taking control of his own life in the movie is very, very, very emotional and it's very, you know yeah. it tugs on your heartstrings. I, I really I really felt for what he was saying when, you know, Gary Sinise talked about this. And he directed the film, so obviously it was the vision that he wanted right. to happen. Yeah. But it's a really important thing to note that George's George's American dream is just to be in charge of himself. Yeah. But Lenny's American dream is just to be with George. He doesn't care. And the rabbits. He That's doesn't care. Really of, he just wants to pet something soft and be with George. <laughs> And we yeah. come back to that idea of friendship, that soft. that you know theme of friendship where Lenny's only real thought is, I want to pet some rabbits and mm. I want to be with George. Yeah, that's all he's he's ever saying while he's in Crooks's room and Crooks is talking about you know you need a friend. Lenny just keeps going, 
Yeah, but we're we're thinking about the rabbits that we're gonna have. It's like you're not listening to a thing I'm saying, are you? <laughs> and every time Lenny does something that's not perfect, he's like, George, you're not gonna take the rabbits away from me, are you? That's all he's ever talking about. That is all Lenny wants. He doesn't want anything else. Candy's dog. In in both media, Candy's dog is an analogy of and foreshadowing of George and Lenny's relationship. That's really about the only purpose. And I think, serves, but it is an important one. It's it's a deep purpose. Yeah. Because not only does Candy talk about I should have done it myself, like you were saying, he says right. I should have done it myself. But let me let me pose this question to you and let you respond. Candy's dog is old, uh-huh. has mange, uh-huh. and can barely support itself. It can hardly walk. It can't really see. It. Lenny Candy himself admits that it can't even feed itself. Lenny is mentally handicapped. Cannot mm-hmm. function without George. Pretty much. Or make decisions for himself and has gotten them in so much trouble that almost everywhere in america someone is looking for them how is that not a direct analogy no, to how they how they, tell, tell me what you think i mean honestly that's very true this um reading of mice and men for us to discuss it here today was the second or third time i had read the story and until this time i didn't exactly see that symbolism that direct analogy the movie does it very well because anytime Candy's talking about his old decrepit mangy dog and how much he loves the geezer of a thing, George is giving him rapt attention. It really speaks to him and the expression on Sinise's face as these conversations are happening, it's it's an unmistakable connection. So that in the end, when George is given the same decision that Candy had, George makes the right one. And... I would almost dare to say, you know, we're going to hit the hot button. People are going to be screaming. Uh, we're going to hit it in a minute. The movie does it better. I get it better when I watch the movie than I do when I read the book. The movie does it better. Oh, the analogy of Candy's The analogy. Oh, sure, The movie yes. does it better. Yeah, I, It really does. Yeah. It it made me feel it more than I did in the book. Right. In the book, there's too many things going on when At they're the going sh- to right. shoot this dog. Yeah. And in the movie, they just make it. We're going to shoot this dog. Mm-hmm. That That's all that's happening right now. Yeah. We are going to shoot the dog. The effect that Candy's dog has on George is much more prominent in the movie than it is in the book because you can see George's face. And that can be a testament to Sinise's acting. Yeah, I'll give you that. And I think that about does it for symbols. Yeah. But I'm sure there's some hidden symbols we didn't see. Did you see them? Do you want to tell us? Do you want to yell at us and tell us we didn't have all the symbols? How dare we leave it out? Let us know. Go to versusmachine.com, click that contact button in the top right-hand corner of the page, and let us know what you think. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back here on the Versus Machine podcast. Poker's been around a long time. The memories, the cards, the money, the players, it all makes for an outstanding experience. But where can you get true knowledge, tips, tricks, and detail? Don't miss the next episode of Two Guys Talking Poker, where poker zealots Vic Porcelli and Andy Kazin interview poker greats like Michael the Grinder Mizraki, Alan Chainsaw Kessler, Greg Fossilman Raymer, and many more. Add on superb hand analysis and poker industry news, and you've got the Two Guys Talking Poker podcast. Check it out now at twoguystalkingpoker.com. That's twoguystalkingpoker.com. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. 
Unlike TV or radio ads, where every instance the ads are broadcast, they're only played once and lost forever. Perpetual advertising can have repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, and even years after they're inserted in a podcast. So even if a podcast is a few years old, your ads will still be impactful to repeat listeners as well as new listeners. This gives your advertising dollar the most bang for the buck. Find out more about perpetual advertising at twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Looking for a straightforward user interface and a cost-effective feature-filled multi-track recording software? Call off the search! Mixcraft from Acoustica has exactly what you're looking for. It's time to include reliable audio creation and editing software with real punch into your projects. Check out Mixcraft now over at acoustica.com forward slash Mixcraft and start a new generation of audio creation and editing today. This is Paul's Tree Service. A person is calling through Relay, Missouri. This is operator. Uh, thanks, but we're not interested. Who is that? Uh, just one of those annoying telemarketers. Wrong. You just hung up on a customer. One who wanted to spend money with your business. A customer who happens to be deaf, hard of hearing, or who has a speech disability. Calling you through Relay, Missouri. Relay Missouri is a free service that allows people who are deaf, hard of hearing, or who have a speech disability to communicate over the telephone with you and your business. Don't hang up. This could be new business. For more information on Relay Missouri, take a minute to log on to RelayMissouri.com and open the door to a whole new group of customers. Become part of a growing community that is silent but can speak volumes for your business. Relay Missouri brings the hearing and deaf, hard of hearing, and people with speech disabilities together at no charge with no sign-up and no monthly fee. Log on to RelayMissouri.com and find out how you can start communicating with these new customers today. Two Guys Talking is proud to announce a new program on the Two Guys Talking podcast network. Conspiracy Agents, hosted by Kevin Hawthorne, which will provide outstanding conspiracy and mystery-based content to the Two Guys Talking network. Check it all out now at conspiracyagents.com as another new year of captured perspective here at Two Guys Talking begins. Conspiracy Agents, hosted by Kevin Hawthorne. Conspiracy Agents. That's conspiracyagents.com. And we're back here on the Mercer's Machine Podcast. I'm Joseph Burge. Uh, I'm Richard Gibson. And today we're doing Of Mice and Men versus Of Mice and Men. Let's get right back into it. The American Dream. We talked about this a little bit yeah. before. A little bit. But it's, I think... The American Dream is very much central to both media, both the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think it's almost hammered more in the movie than it is in the book because in the bit. book, we see only certain scenes in the book. We see the barn. We see Crooks' cabin. And then we see the bunk room. That's all we see. In the movie, we see them tending the fields. We yes. see that hard work that comes into yep. all of this in the movie. And the movie kind of hammering it home that hard work is what the American dream is about. Hard yeah. work is how you get there. Yeah. Even though it's far easier for Lenny to lift those sacks of grain than it is anyone else, he's still got to do it. He's still got to go out there and earn his 50 bucks a month to have the money to get the farm. American dream's not just handed to you. It's something you do on your own merits. But I think there's something important that we missed before that we really need to cover, and that is their American dream can only happen with both of them. 
Yes. George could never have a farm without Lenny. He can say he could all he wants, Mm -hmm. but he couldn't. And I don't think Lenny could have had anything without George. No, of course not. While I'm reading George's, he's telling Lenny about their dream farm. And all the time I'm waiting for him to say, and we'll get set, we'll be settled, and then we'll go, you know, get us some wives. He never does. The only people on their farm are each other. They might have some other workers, but that's not going to be the big thing. You know, he talks about if a friend comes over, we'll have an extra bunk for him. But the only two people who live on their dream farm are George and Lenny. And then eventually Candy. Right, but that wasn't the original vision. Mm-hmm. That was the revised vision. In the original, it's just them. And that, That's it. That fraternity, that you know, male brotherhood, uh-huh. is really important to Steinbeck's version of the American dream because Steinbeck obviously didn't see the American dream like we did. You know, you have a wife, you have a house, you have a couple of kids, you support everybody. Yeah. Steinbeck saw the American dream as you have your own everything. You make your own way. Yeah. Yep. And you make your own way with your friends. Yep. Like Crook says, everybody's got to have somebody. Yep. And that's, as you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, it is a unique vision for the American dream. It's definitely different from Gatsby's. It's definitely different from what we were talking about in The Watchmen. It's completely different. True friendship. In the book, the theme of true friendship is the entire point of the novella. And in the movie, it's the focal point. I mean, obviously, we're still getting that whole thing from them, Mm -hmm. but they accentuate it with everything else. With that American dream, they accentuate the friendship angle. Right, because they can't have their dream without the friendship. mm -hmm. What it really is in this theme that we haven't talked about before because we talked a lot about friendship what's Mm -hmm. really in this thing that we haven't talked about before is the idea of true friendship yeah what is true friendship is true friendship is and it's and it's essentially the end of the novel question yes it's what is true friendship when when are you a friend is Mm -hmm. george really a friend to lenny i mean let me ask you is george really a friend to lenny well what we were talking about with candy's dog he candy laments that he didn't end his own dog's life as carlson and even slim gets in on it that the dog's no good to himself he's no good to you he's no good to anyone else he's not even any good to himself put him out of his misery you know just like euthanasia basically candy says after the deed is done so it's far too late he says i should have been the one to do it I should have been the one to mercifully end his life just to make sure that it's being done right and that it's being done in love. Because Carlson hated that dog. Like, man, this dog stinks. It's ugly and it's stupid and worthless. Whereas Candy still loved the thing even though it was all those things. So Candy killing the dog would have been doing it in friendship. Like, hey, man, your life kind of sucks, so you're just in constant pain, so I'll, I'll end the pain. And, and I Whereas think- that's probably not how Carlson did it. And I think the idea of true friendship, especially for Steinbeck, really is complete sacrifice. Yeah. I would sacrifice everything for my friend. Mm-hmm. I would sacrifice my life. I would sacrifice my wealth. I would sacrifice everything I have mm-hmm. for my friend. My personal comfort, Yeah, which is really what comes up more often than not in, in this story since they don't have any wealth to give. It's really just this is an incredibly hard thing to do, but I'm still going to do it because I know I should. Candy missed his chance. George gets that same chance at the end of the novel after Lenny has inadvertently killed Curly's wife. Everyone's hunting Lenny to kill him because as far as they can tell, he just killed this woman in cold blood. 
for no good reason. They don't really get, even though they see his ridiculous strength, that it was just an accident. Their conclusion is really the only logical one to come to. So I'm not saying they, they made a stupid conclusion, because they didn't. George and Slim were the only two who actually understood what happened. So Lenny runs to his and George's special little spot that they set up at the beginning of the story. Lenny's hiding there, waiting for George to come to him, having absolutely no idea that anyone is chasing him, much less what George knows he has to do. And what he has to do is a really horrible thing. Curly is incensed at Lenny. He's bringing his shotgun, even though he's only got one usable hand. I don't know how he plans using a shotgun with one arm. Uh, I think Carlson's bringing Crooks' shotgun. Everyone's ready to kill Lenny. And they're not going to do it nicely. They have no intent about being kind about it. And George sees that. This is going to be really bad for Lenny if Carly gets to him. And I think what the movie did real well in terms of showing friendship is it showed that but I really liked at the very end when he's in the train riding down the rails and he sees him and Just Lenny looking so defeated and he sees him and Lenny oh, walking. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that really is, you know, that gut wrenching feeling of friendship yeah. that the story gives upon. And I'm not saying the book doesn't do it. I'm just saying the movie does that really well yeah. to give us that gut. Punch. Yeah, it does it pretty well. There's the voices of Curly and the, the witch hunt team coming to get Lenny and George. I mean, he's, the way Sinise acted that was was pretty good. He's just got his head resting on Lenny. He's like, I can't do this. I can't shoot my best friend, even to save him a lot of pain. Sinise acted it differently than, than it's written in the book. In the book, he very slowly works up to it and just finally pulls the trigger. Whereas in the movie, he just does it just real fast. He's He's just like, I have to do it. Okay, and then does it, and is just shocked that he even did it. It's a terrible thing to do. I would never want to be in such a situation. Putting down your dog is a little different than shooting another person in the back of that. Not because they're in a horrible situation, but because they're going to shortly get into one. I I would not want to be in that spot. I would agree, but definitely true friendship is, is a central point. Yes, and true friendship would have done what George did, I think. I know a lot of people might disagree with that. Let's move on to lessons. The evils of dreams. This is kind of my soapbox. This yes, is kind of is. my soapbox. I'll, I'll let you have it. It's definitely in the book. It's in the movie, yeah. in the people's faces, but it's definitely, for me, written in the book. Dreams are important. And of we course. we said that hope is important, and you should have hope, and these people wanted hope. But what about the downside of hope? What about the evil of having a dream? We have seen in the novel more people become completely unhinged by the fact that they put all of their eggs in their dream basket than anything else. Curly's wife went completely insane when the guy told her she could be in movies, then never called her. Yeah. Lenny and George were completely incensed by this whole farm idea that they were willing to do just about anything to get their farm. Yeah. And Candy put all of his eggs in that dream of him 
being with them. Right. His $350, however much he had. While we don't see what happens to Candy after the novel, I think it's safe to say he probably had a pretty big meltdown. And Curly put all of his eggs into this, I'm a boxer, I have a beautiful wife basket, and his beautiful wife is around sleeping with everybody, and it turns him into a complete and total narcissistic asshole. Yeah. I feel like, without a doubt, there's something to be said for the evil of dreams in this in this novel the The evil of having only one and focusing on nothing but that and we could even go so far as to say the evil of the american dream is a big problem in this novel because people believe in this hope so wholeheartedly that when it's dashed there's nothing and i told you i told you point blank i think george killed himself i think the events of the story i think after the events of the story he killed himself that's not an ungrounded statement. What do you do after you just literally shot your own dream in the head because you had to? What do you do after that? I mean, th- this is more or less a rhetorical question. I don't know what you do after that. I mean, what in the world? Yeah, he probably, he very well at least considered suicide. The way the the very last scene in the in the movie is George reflecting on, on him and Lenny's friendship. But right before that, he's just sitting in this train car and he, he just has this completely blank look of utter defeat. That's the only thing you could feel after shooting your own dreams in the head. We don't see what happened really at all after Lenny is shot in the book. George kills him. Everyone shows up and is like, oh, he's already dead. Slim basically picks up George and is like, all right, let's go get drunk because that's what you need right now. And that's it. We don't see what happens to anybody after this. And I think, and I'm probably in a minority here, Steinbeck is telling is telling us not to believe in your dreams so hard wholeheartedly that you can't believe anything. And I think what Crook says about books buys into this, where he says a book ain't no substitution for people. Yeah, it, it really is a big deal to me that Steinbeck is trying to like steer people away from believing in nothing but your dreams. Right, you got to have something else other than just this one dream. But I don't think a lot of people will have seen what I saw. They they won't. Maybe. They they think that Steinbeck looks at it as dreams are important. You should have dreams. But I think Steinbeck looks at it at the, at the exact opposite. I think Steinbeck roots more for George than he does for Lenny, the realist. George, the realist, who sees, you know, Lenny is a dreamer. He sees everything in terms of the dream is what's important. George sees everything in terms of if we can't get to the dream. You know, who cares about the dream? Who gives a right, flying spaghetti can't. monster about the dream? We, you, you're going around touching people and raping people. What? How are we going to get there? And that's arguably one of the reasons why George is so perturbed per- continuously at Lenny. Because it's like you're constantly thwarting our chances to get what we're trying to get. Simply because you just have to touch everything you like. What is friendship? Tough question. It's a tough question, and we've talked a lot about friendship during this podcast. We've expanded a lot on friendship. What I really want is your definition of what is friendship in this novel. It's doing what you know is best for your friend, even when you don't want to do it. See, I would say in the movie, friendship is ultimate sacrifice. Not necessarily doing what's best or what's not best, but having the forethought to do the ultimate of things in order to secure people's happiness. He wanted Lenny to be happy at the end of the movie more than anything. Yeah. He told him to face the other way. Yeah, imagine the farm. I'm not mad at you. Everything's cool. You know, just imagine that farm and then pulse the trigger. 
Yeah. And I think in the movie, they make a big deal about ultimate sacrifice because as much as it's a sacrifice for Lenny to have been shot by George, it's a sacrifice for George to have shot Lenny. Oh my gosh, yes. It is a sacrifice of his psyche, of yep. his ab- ability to function as a person. Mm. And it's part of the reason why I say he kills himself. Because right, because he didn't have anything left at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except for just continuing to do the job he's done for years. But he admits himself, you know, Lenny's awesome, but I'm nothing to scream about. People aren't going to bother hiring George on his own because he's nothing special. He has nothing left after he shoots Lenny. A big point about asking what is friendship? You have to put friendship is what George did. Friendship yeah. is what George did. Right. It can be kind of hard to swallow that. Because he killed his friend and you're telling me that's friendship? Well, that goes right into our next point. Mm-hmm. Mercy killing or murder. Yeah, what what did George do to Lenny? Did he murder him? On our outline initially, you had put Lenny's murder. And I said, that's, that's not right. That's not what it was. Murder is what Curly wanted to do <laughs> to, to Lenny before anything even happened. Whereas what George does for Lenny is sparing him. Instead of having his last few hours of life being Curly berating him and punching him with his only good hand and then eventually shooting him in the gut and letting him bleed to death, what George... I mean, read, yeah. read the text where he says he shot Lenny. George is telling him, you and me, everybody going to be nice to you. Ain't going to be no more trouble. Nobody going to hurt nobody nor steal from him. Lenny said, I thought you were mad at me, George. No, George said. No, Lenny. I ain't mad. I never been mad, and I ain't now. That's the thing I want you to know. And then Lenny says, let's let's get our farm now. Let's go get that place now. And George says, sure, right now. I gotta. We gotta. He's not talking about getting the farm. He's talking about ending Lenny's life on a high note, as opposed to the low note that it would be if George didn't shoot him. It's a really, really hard question. I think the audience is going to be tussling with it the entire time through the movie, yeah. through the novel. You know, when we read this in high school, when you and I were in high school mm-hmm. and we read this, that was a big point. That was a big deal. A lot yeah. of people had different opinions about whether George murdered Lenny, whether he killed him out of mercy, whether he was just trying to... There are people who probably believe that George was just trying to save his own skin by killing Lenny. There's probably people who argue that. In my personal opinion, it has to be considered a mercy killing. Yes. It has to. I don't see how because, you could put it any other way. Because George, if it was a murder, George would have felt nothing. Right. But going back to my idea of his suicide, he probably had a complete mental breakdown after mm-hmm. he killed Lenny. Or just went totally numb, and, one of the two. And the fact that he that he did that is a, is a show of remorse. And a guy like Lenny could never have survived torture. He wouldn't understand why they were torturing nope, him. Wouldn't have he, would, he wouldn't have gotten what was going on. Mm-hmm. He would have just been in pain. Right, and as happens when Curly's fighting Lenny, Lenny doesn't even put up his hands to defend himself, not to fight back. He doesn't even try to ward off the blows because he's too scared and doesn't get what's going on. Any normal person would have at least put their hands up over their face, at least. But Lenny's too scared to do that. Someone torturing him, he would have no idea what's going on. He wouldn't know what to do at all. But it's a hot, it's a definitely a hotly contested yeah. thing. It's so, very clear, though, in the text that George, and also in the movie, though they <laughs> did it differently, it's very clear that George took no pleasure in what he did. Mm-hmm. None at all, and he hated it. Right after he shoots him, it says, George shivered and looked at the gun, and then he threw it from him. 
He sat stiffly down and just looked at his right hand that had thrown the gun away. He really can't believe that he just did it, even though we knew he had to. It's an important question, and I think we need to ask the audience. We do. What do you think? Was it a mercy killing? Was it murder? Was it something else altogether and we just totally missed the mark? Let us know. Go to versusmachine.com, click that contact button in the right top-hand corner of the page, and let us know what you think Lenny's death was really about. Did George betray Lenny? We're dealing with this separately because it is a separate point. You and I agree that George did the right thing. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible thing that he had to do, but he did the right thing. Completely. However, this isn't in the movie at all because all we see in the movie is after George shoots Lenny, he just goes numb, and that's it. Very understandable, but we don't have Carlson and Curly and Slim showing up and seeing the aftermath of it. Everyone thought that Lenny stole the pistol that that George uses, but it was actually George who took it. So everyone thinks that George somehow wrestled the gun from Lenny and then killed him because Lenny was a horrible person. And George doesn't stop them from believing that. This is why I think it's a valid question to ask, even though George did the right thing in shooting Lenny, did he still betray him in that... Carlson's like, how did he have my gun? Yeah, he had it. And you got it away from him and you took it and you killed him? Yeah, that's how. I think that's he, not at all what happened. I think he completely betrayed Lenny. I think no matter what you think about how he killed Lenny, he yeah. completely betrayed him he, by not defending him. Now, there is a there is another side to this, mm-hmm. and I and I feel we have to put it out there. Yeah. I guarantee you, if he had said something good about Lenny, they'd have killed him too. I don't know if they would have killed him, but no one would have believed it. George defending Lenny's character, it would have been futile. But does that mean he sh- still shouldn't have done it? Would I def- that have been the true the true show of friendship? I, I think it would have been. I think while I think they had a had a sort of, you know, relationship between each other, I think the fact that he did not defend him is almost contrary to the ideas of the bonds of friendship. It's almost completely yeah, contrary. I it, would say so. And... If somebody was going to, obviously, you and I have been friends for 20 years. If somebody had been besmirching, I I like the word besmirching, besmirching your name in some way, and I never said anything, that is a serious issue. It's a serious trust issue issue between you and me. Yeah, right. And so the fact that whether Lenny could have comprehended it or not doesn't matter. What Mm. matters is George should have done something. To defend Lenny's character, he should have done something. You know, there's people who will view this whole event differently, but this is the only way that I can I can see it, that George should have done something, even if it would have been in vain, even if it would have probably caused him trouble. Then again, assuming Lenny could have grasped that final conversation, what would Lenny have wanted George to do? Lenny twice says you know george i'm just gonna i'm just gonna leave i'm gonna run i don't want these the mountains. Ketchup. i don't want the ketchup you take all the ketchup right yeah you take the ketchup i'm gonna leave I'm, I'm just gonna find a cave and you won't have to bother with me no more you can go do whatever you want would lenny have said george don't bother defending me because it's just gonna go poorly for you if lenny could have said such a thing do you think he would have would lenny have agreed with what george did yes Lenny was completely the innocent, selfless person in the mm-hmm. entire novel. Yeah. And never meant anyone any harm, never wanted any harm to come to George. He was ready to fight Crooks simply because Crooks was supposing 
here's a hypothetical situation. What if something happens to George? And Lenny's getting pissed about that hypothetical situation. It's like, you don't talk harm about George. I think Lenny would have supported this decision. But that does that make it right? That's that's debatable. Since we're talking about friendship here, is not being a friend when that's what your friend wants, is that the thing to do to support? I, I, I think we have to ask the audience. Sure. What did you I, think? Because I don't have an answer. What do you think? Should George have defended Lenny? Did he betray him by not doing it? Let us know. Go to versusmachine.com. Click that contact button in the top right-hand corner of the page and let us know if George betrayed Lenny. You know, we've had a lot of fun with this novel and with yeah. this movie today, yeah. and we've you know, dissected for you that friendship is really important and that hope is really important and that the American dream is really important. But the big takeaway from all of this, for me at least, is it's possible, especially in terms of our versus machine, it's possible to take an adaptation and still get the meat. Yes. And that's really a big deal. And while yeah, I think glad to see that the, the while I think the themes are really important, it's really important that we got the friendship in there. Steinbeck was teaching about friendship, mm-hmm. about dreams, about yeah. all of that. I think for me, my big conclusion is I'm really happy to see that there's an adaptation that, that we can run through the machine and it works. Right. There's not many times when I'll say this, but I don't think the movie's better than the book. But the book, the movie does actually successfully add to the book so if you really want to experience the story of of mice and men read the book then watch the movie i can very safely say that i don't i don't many times but i'm saying that here all right and definitely we want to hear from you again so make sure you contact us through versusmachine.com and let us know what you think i'm joseph burge i'm richard gibson Thank you for listening to this episode of the Versus Machine Podcast on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Be sure to like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on this and other episodes inside our online archive of programs that span a wide variety of genres. It's all about comparison, and we want to know what you think. The links to do all of this and show notes for this episode are available at versusmachinepodcast.com. That's versusmachinepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and provide us with your thoughts and contrasting opinions to keep the gears of the Versus Machine running. Power down.